We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Today is the third and final part of our three-part series. It's been the crown. A couple weeks ago, Aiden talked about the crown of Jesus, the rule and reign of Jesus. Last week, Steve talked about the word, the book of life by how which we should live our lives. And today I'll be talking about the key, the key that is Jesus, our victory that comes through Jesus. And we're going to be talking about three main points, and they're, they're key points. Our identity, who we are, our freedom, freedom from the things that hold us back, and our calling, the destiny that God has put over our lives. Three incredible things. Because you see, our, our identity is who we are. And the only way we can know who we are is by the word of God. You see, there's a narrative that the world would give us. The world would tell us one version of who we are. But we need the word of God to cut through that, to reveal to us who we really are. The world would also tell us who we're not. Sin, the entanglement of sin, will try to twist us and tell us who we're not. But only the freedom of worship can reveal to us that that's, those are lies. Isaiah 61.3, as we actually sang, said, for a spirit of heaviness put on the garment of praise. Instead of focusing on the sin in our lives that would twist us, we lift our gaze to God and it frees us. And we saw that today. We just saw that. Maybe you felt that as you're worshiping God. And it also tells us that who we will be, who God is making us into, the calling over our lives. And prayer and fasting help us to outwork that calling. Not because we're doing it, but because we're communing more with the Spirit. You see, as we fast, we turn the volume down on our body. And as we pray, we turn our ears to God and we commune with the Spirit of God. And as we commune with the Spirit, then He does it. And it is done, our calling. Now, we're going to talk about that through practical ways through the scripture, but before I get into that, I just want to, I want to just share what the Bible has to say about you and me, who we are, who the Bible says we are. The Bible says that we, all of us, were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. That before we were born, that God knew us, that he fashioned us in our mother's womb, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, that God delights over us, that we were dead, but in Christ we are alive, that we are being given the mind of Christ, that we are citizens of heaven, that we are seated in heavenly places because of Christ, that we're not servants, but we are called friends, friends of God that we, all of us, are sons and daughters. That everything, everything that happens is worked for our good. That nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Maybe as you're hearing those incredible truths, there's something in you that says, even me? Could, could that, could that be me? And I struggle with the same thing. You see, I have my whole life of the world telling me something different. But when I come back to the word of truth, 
I hear God's truth over me and over you. Even this morning, we were in prayer meeting, and I said, God, I was praying, and I said, God, I know you want to do something incredible today, but I don't know if I can be a part of it. And I looked up, I lifted my eyes up as we were praying, and I saw Tanner, one of the kids in our, our church, on his, on his dad's shoulders. And he was high above everyone else, smiling, comfortable, secure. And God says, that's who you guys are. You guys are seated in heavenly places because of me. That you guys are secure because of me. That's your identity, is because I am with you. Now, we're going to be talking about um, a section in time in the Bible because we're going to go back all the way to Numbers because maybe as you're hearing this, you think, well, that sounds great, but I, don't, I want to know how this story ends. And the great thing is, is that the Bible tells us there are times in the Bible where we can see the, the beginning, the middle, and the end. We're going to go back to the time of the Israelites in the wilderness, in Numbers. Now, Numbers may be a book in the Bible that, that you don't spend a lot of time in, um, I, I didn't as well in the past. I, I think maybe because it was called numbers. <laughs> you know? and maybe you don't like math that much, and, and so you're like, numbers. No, I don't, I don't like the sound of that. But actually, numbers is about the Israelites in the wilderness, and it's filled with these compelling stories of God with his people bringing breakthrough. In Hebrew tradition, actually, the book of numbers is referred to as in the wilderness. And I'm not going to put all the verses on that we're going to talk about, but, but I am going to start from Numbers 14, where um, they had just come out of Egypt, and God rescued them from the strongest empire in the world at the time. Radically, miraculously, through plagues and through a, a pillar of fire protecting them from the, the, uh, the Egyptian chariots, and then through parting of the Red Sea, those incredible miracles And then the journey from Egypt to the promised land is only two weeks by foot. So they get there in two weeks. And they send 12 spies out into the land to to scope it out. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back and they say the land is exceedingly good. It is filled with milk and honey. And they bring some of the fruit and produce from the land. And they say, see, look, here, it's for us. But the other 10 said it is filled with giants. We are like grasshoppers compared to them. Their cities are fortified. God has led us here to kill us, that we are going to die. It would have been better if we had died in Egypt than to now die here in, in, in front of these people. And when the people heard the 10, they all, they lost their minds. They, they just started yelling and they were up and they were shouting and they elected for themselves one person to lead them all the way back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery because they thought that that would be better than the promises of God. And then they wanted to stone Moses and Aaron for taking them out of slavery. And God intervened and prevented that from happening. And Joshua gets up before all the people and says, these people will be like bread for us because God is with us. Not because we have the best weapons of war not because we know how to take down fortified cities, not because we're the best fighters in the world, but because God is with us. You see, Joshua knew who his identity was. He knew that he was someone who was with God. And they knew that because of the word that they had. Sometimes I forget that in the Bible, they also had the word of God. It was just maybe a little bit smaller. (laughs) 
they had, they had Genesis. And if we look back into Genesis, we see um, Genesis chapter 35, that God has this incredible uh, passage of scripture. And we're going to split it up into three parts. And the first part is, in, this is God appearing to Jacob. In verse 9 to 11, it says, God appeared to Jacob again while he was on his way back from Padam Aram and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. And Jacob means to be behind or to come second. But your name will be Jacob no longer. No, your name will be Israel. God contends or we persevere. And he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai, sovereign God of blessing. Be fertile and multiply. See, one of the first things God does is he speaks identity over Jacob. And Jacob was the great, great grandfather of Moses and, and the people of Israel. So there wasn't a lot of separation there. So when they saw the word, they, they had heard of Jacob, their great grandfather, great, great grandfather. But Jacob grew up feeling like the second born. He was the second. Esau was the first. And he felt like he needed to lie, steal, cheat to get ahead in life. He stole his birthright. He was running from his life from Esau. He was escaping Laban, and Laban was also chasing after him to take his life. That's how Jacob saw himself. That's what the world told Jacob who he was. But God says, no, you are Israel. You are one who contends. You are not someone who steals. You are someone who contends and perseveres for the promises of God. And one of the things I am is I am El Shaddai, I am the God Almighty, the God above the mountains who blesses. And who I am will bless you, be fertile and multiply. See, only two out of 12 spies believe that word. Only two of them. But that changed everything. So then, what would have been a two-week journey to the promised land ended up becoming 40 years in the wilderness. Because God said, I can't give my people their full inheritance without them knowing who they are. So he got them back and forth, like Sheetal talked about those currents, just zigzagging currents back and forth, up and down in the wilderness, depending on him for manna, which is something like bread, I would imagine. <laughs> depending on him for quail, for water, for their very lives, for everything, depending on God. And it took 40 years for them to realize who God was and who they were in God. It could have happened in, in 20 years. It could have happened in one week, but it took them 40 years. Maybe today you feel like you're in a kind of a wilderness time where you feel like God is just guiding you in circles, guiding you up and down, and you're like, why, why am I in this? Well, God is working all of that for your glory. God is giving you the mind of Christ through your struggles, through that ways, all those ways, so that you realize you are a citizen of heaven. And once you do, it'll change everything. So then, after they realize that, after they're settled on their identity, they come to the, to the land, right across the Jordan, and now they're about to take the land. And now, the people of the land, the Moabites, the Midianites, are freaking out. There's a multitude of people coming out of the wilderness. Where did they even come from? There's nothing in the wilderness. How did this multitude of people just come out and flood in? The king of Moab says, these people, they'll, they'll run over us like grass. 
that they'll be like an ox licking us up like grass. They were panicked and freaking out. And so the king of Moab says, we don't have the strength of arms to defeat them. So we need to use spiritual warfare. We will call a hired gun, Balaam, a pagan prophet, but prophet is, is a, a euphemism. He was more like a sorcerer or like a witch doctor or something like that. And he, his role was to bring curses down upon people. And he was paid handsomely for this. And so the king of Moab came to him and said, with wonderful, like the most prestigious priests and princes and said, I will give you gold and silver if you issue forth a curse over these people. And so he go, comes up on a mountaintop and he was divining. The Bible says he was divining of spirits to then issue up a curse. But as he's trying to divine spirits, the God of heaven and earth intercedes and says, you will surely not curse them. You will only bless them. And so he goes back to the king of Moab and says, I can't curse them. I, I have to bless them. The king of Moab said, no, I'm paying you to curse, not to bless, curse, curse. Try again, try again. So he brought even more princes and even more money. And he says, now try again. So they try again. He gets up there and he, he divines again of spirits. And he says, okay, the God of Israel interceded again and said, no, you will not curse them. You can only bless them. So he goes to the king of Moab and the king of Moab loses his mind. He's like, no, do this again. Even more gold, even more silver. You have to curse them. And so this time, Balaam goes directly to the God of Israel. And again, God says, you will not curse them. But this time, God issues forth a blessing over his people. Balaam, his, their adversary, blesses the people. He issues forth blessings over all the people. And he even prophesies that from this people, a king would arise greater than any other king. God prophesies about the coming king, Jesus, through their adversary. And think of the people of Israel sitting in the wilderness, sitting in the fields, totally unknowing that God, that who was supposed to curse them, God was using to bless them. And blessings were just falling over them on a realm that they couldn't perceive. So Moab, the king of Moab loses his mind. He threatens Balaam and Balaam is afraid. We don't see what the rest of that story is in Numbers, but we do see it in Revelation and actually in 2 second, second Peter 2. And in Revelation 2.14, when, when God is talking about the church of Pergamum, he says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. See, what Balaam did is he found a loophole. He couldn't curse the people directly, but he could convince the people to issue forth a curse upon themselves. He told the king of Moab, bring the people into your temple worship. Your worship of Baal, which included temple prostitutes. Offer them the food that, is, that was sacrificed to your pagan gods. And so the people who had been used to eating manna, some of them ate the, the delicacies that were offered to pagan gods, which were actually demons. 
And they practiced the sexual immorality, which is a euphemism for, for just terrible, perverted things that, that they were doing there, um, which I will not go into. Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. And the people started falling astray and um, issuing forth curses upon themselves. You see, if they'd looked back into the word, they would have seen in Genesis 35, verse 1, 2, and 4, that God said, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had, and the rings in the ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. The rings in the ears probably were amulets or had inscriptions of pagan gods as well. You see, people had those idols because they thought that it, it gave them something. It offered them something. But when Jacob encountered the God of heaven and earth, the God above all things, all of those things paled in comparison. All of a sudden, it seemed so silly to pursue those things when you had the God of everything. And they put those things aside. Then the Israelites had to put aside those who had followed after Moab, those who entered into the worship of demons. Those people lost their inheritance. And once they put that aside, they were able to move on. Now this could seem like, how does this connect to our daily lives now? I mean, we're talking about sorcerers, spiritual warfare, demons, curses. I mean, this doesn't sound like something we should be talking about in 2020. But it's real. And it happens, whether you see it or not. So I saw this firsthand. When I was in college, many years ago, many, many years ago, <laughs> unfortunately many years ago, I, uh, I, I would walk down the halls in, in college and people's doors would be open and they were just watching things on, you know, sexually immoral things on videos and on computer screens and it was just all over the place and it just seemed normal. It was, it was common. And after a while, I thought that that was okay too. And I started watching that stuff and hanging out with them and doing all sorts of different things. And what I felt was slowly the closeness and communal closeness I had with God started to just feel a little bit more distant and a little bit more distant. My heart that had been soft started to get a little harder and harder. And I didn't know why. And I would have quiet times and I would pray and read the word and the words just looked like words on a page. It, didn't, it wasn't like the living word of God that jumped up at me like it did before. And I thought God was punishing me for something and I, was, I couldn't understand what was going on. And then God started feeling distant, not like this close friend and, and father, but like someone who is a distant landlord or a neglectful father. And I felt like I did before I became a Christian. I knew that God was real, but he didn't, I didn't feel like I had a personal relationship anymore. And I couldn't understand why. And I went to, um, I, was, I was serving in um, the um, worship team at the church I was going through at the time, the church I grew up with. And I felt like a hypocrite 
for struggling and feeling separate and then, then trying to worship God. And before, as the worship team was getting together and we were praying, I was sharing of how I was in this funk and I described it as a, a funk. And, and someone in the worship team said, Matt, you got to get your head in the game. You got you to you take this seriously. This is about worshiping God. You can't just do whatever you want to do. And at the time, I didn't receive that well. But it, it was good. And it was really good that I, I heard that. And I went back from there and I started crying out to God and saying, God, I, I don't want this. I don't want to be far away from you. I don't want to be um, uh, separated from you in any way. And those things that, that I thought brought me some value pale in comparison from, from who you are. And as we were worshiping God in, that, in that, that praise night, in the middle of worshiping God, I felt my heart open up and just, it was like something broke open. And I felt just the love of God flow back into my heart. And I felt this joy of finding your first love again. Like that time when I first found Jesus, when I first fell in love with Jesus, it happened again. And that happened with so many people who were part of that worship night there too. And God was breaking off those chains that I had put on myself and didn't even know it. God was taking off those scales over my eyes that I'd put on myself and I didn't even know it. God was breaking curses that I had brought on myself and didn't even know. God worked all things even for my good. And I felt like a son again. I felt like a friend of God again. And I started feeling that maybe God did have wonderful plans for me. And I realized that in order to be truly free, I needed to ask God for freedom. I needed to put on the, the, the garment of praise, those new clothes, the garment of praise to cast off a spirit of heaviness. And when I did, I realized I couldn't be free from those chains without God. And all of a sudden, I started seeing those things that the world would tell me were good things or comfortable things as things that I hated. I didn't want those anymore. You see, God didn't free them from me before because I thought that they were my friends. But now that I saw that they were my enemies, God says in his word, he will be faithful to deliver us from our enemies. The same thing happened for the Israelites. But then God spoke to them of their calling and their destiny. They were right about to step in, into their promised land in Joshua 6. And here they are before the fortified city, Jericho, high walls made of stone. They had nothing to take down those walls. They had nothing they could do. It was completely out of their strength to destroy a fortified city. The city was made so that people couldn't destroy it. And as they let go of the things that hindered them back, then they started praying. They prayed to God and said, God, what would you do? How can you help us? And then the commander of the Lord's army came to Joshua and told him exactly how they were going to defeat. It wasn't by storming the castle. It wasn't by climbing the bulwarks. It wasn't any of that. It was just by marching around Jericho, declaring God's goodness, praising his name, praying to the God of heaven and earth. And as they did that, the people in Jericho laughed at them. They laughed. They insulted them. They said, of course, this is not going to work. You guys are fools. We're going to crush you for six days. Just insults, insults showering upon them. But they knew who they were. 
They knew their identity. They had let go of the things that held them back. They were free. And now God on the seventh day brought them victory. And he brought them victory not by strength, not by might, but by his spirit. You see, the spirit of the Lord brings us into the calling that he has over us. That call that God has over our lives wasn't a call that we gave ourselves. It was a call that God gave us even before we were born, even before we were made in our mother's womb. That call was, came from heaven and only heaven can bring it forth. See, this is the season of New Year's resolutions. But resolutions don't have powers to free us, to step us into a calling. Only a revolution does. That revolution, that heaven invading earth. And that can happen only by his spirit. We see that in Genesis 35, verse 11 to 14. He speaks that calling over Jacob. He says, a nation, even a large group of nations will come from you. Kings will descend from your own children. The land I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, I will give to you. I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God ascended, leaving him alone in the place where he spoke to them. So Jacob set up a sacred pillar, a stone pillar, at the place God spoke to him. He poured an offering of wine on it and then poured oil over it. Jacob fasted and sacrificed. Those things that his body would want, wine and oil, which were precious at that time, he poured out over the ground as an offering to God. He fasted, he allowed his body to decrease so that his ears could be atoned to the God of heaven and earth. He prayed to God, he, in, he in tuned his ears to God, and he encountered something much more than his body could ever give him. In John 6, 6, 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Not a little help, no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The same Jesus that said those words, after he died and rose again, when Mary Magdalene um, saw him, he says, now go and tell my brothers what you've seen here. He doesn't say, go and tell my servants. He doesn't say, go and tell my friends. He says, go and tell my brothers. Do you believe that you can be a brother and a sister of Christ? That kind of intimacy? That's the inheritance that you have. Hudson Taylor, the person who led the Inland China Mission, who helped open up China for the gospel, said that any great work of God has three phases. First, it's impossible. Then it's difficult. Then it's done. We see that in the Israelites. Everything that happened to them was impossible. Then it was really difficult. Then it was done. Maybe it seems so impossible that even now you're having a hard time believing that God did what he did in the Bible. But how else did the Israelites get out of this, the strongest empire in the world? How else could they have made themselves free? How else could they have taken down fortified cities like Jericho? Historically, we know that happened. 
And it was God who made it happen. He tells you how it happened. See, we've seen this play out in our lives and in our church lives too. A few years ago, we felt that, that it was coming time for us to, to step into buying a building. But a few years ago, we were in no way able to buy a building. Our savings as a church were nowhere near what we would need. And then over the next year, God, or over those years, God tripled our savings. He didn't triple them because we started preaching every Sunday about tithes and offerings or something like that. We didn't do anything differently. We did nothing differently. And God worked in your hearts to tithe, to bring offerings, to give faithfully. And then as the, the, the savings increased, we started to have faith that, well, maybe, maybe we can at least consider having a building. And we, we talked to people who were um, in, in real estate in our church and outside of our church, and everyone told us, no, this is impossible. What you're asking for is impossible. Where the church is cannot happen. We kept praying, and we fasted. And the Spirit led us and said, just take a step. Just take one step. And our faith wasn't high enough yet, so we looked at leasing a building. <laughs> we, we were like, okay, maybe you mean lease a building, and that can be our own building. And so we looked at, looked at leasing, and we kind of took that step, and our faith grew as we took that step. And then as we did that, there was a building that was available for purchase on 3850 West Montrose. And something in us leapt, and we said, no, this is the building. And we went from trying to lease to buying, and we said, let's try to buy it. And we went to banks, and even though our savings had tripled, we still had to raise $450,000 in five weeks. And if we didn't raise $450,000 in five weeks, we would lose $100,000. And we didn't share that part of the equation because <laughs> for, for a lot of reasons, but... But for one of the reasons, probably the main reason, was because we didn't want people to feel compelled to give. Yeah. We really wanted people to give if God was working in their hearts. We weren't trying to manipulate people, trick them, cheat and steal. That was what Jacob would do, but not what Israel would do. And so we just shared, we need to raise $450,000 in five weeks. And then we saw God do impossible things. He worked in all of your hearts to give in our hearts too, to give even more than we could at times. And we raised a little bit more than $450,000 in five weeks. And then we thought, okay, it's done. But that's when it got difficult. <laughs> that's when it got really difficult. And then our, our partner, our um, construction developer partner, out of the blue, one day said, okay, you know that budget that we had? it's going to be $500,000 more than the budget. So we had a million-dollar budget, and they were like, no, it'll be $1.5 It's like, we've been talking to you for months and months and months. Like, all of a sudden, today, it's, it's $1.5 million. They're like, those are the numbers. This is why I don't like math. <laughs> this is why I didn't like it. But, but I remember that finance meeting where I, where I heard about that. And it was the beginning of the finance meeting. And my faith, like, sunk to the bottom of the floor. Like, underfloor. Like, under the basement. I was sitting in my basement. It was under the basement. <laughs> That was where my faith level was. And the first thing I said was, we have, we have to sell the building. That's the only option. That is the only option. We got to go back to Egypt, guys. We have to go back. God did this incredible miracle. We will return the funds. 
we will send it back. We, we've tracked it, right? Right? We've tracked it. And, and then we said, okay, let's pray. Let's pray. And during that finance meeting, we had no plans. We had no strategy. We had no strength of our own. We just prayed. We spent the whole meeting praying. And amazingly, at the end of the finance meeting, we felt this gift of faith. The same gift that God gave to Joshua, the same gift that he gave to Moses and all those heroes of the Bible, just to believe that God said he would do what he said to do. And that none of the situations changed, none of the events changed, but all of a sudden we just believed that God would do it because God was for us. We said that development company will be like bread to us. They will, we will take them because God is for us. It's revisionist history. That's not what I said. I was like, okay, let's do this. And I think my, my voice was two octaves higher as I said that. And then we took that step. And then we find out that God actually had people who joined our church months before that had relationships with a developing company. And he had had a plan that he was weaving all the way through. And as we worked through that development company, we got right back on budget. God provided those four hundred to $500,000 just like that. What seemed impossible was done. And then we had to get through all this bureaucracy of the city. All these people who didn't want a secular building to become a church, who didn't want to lose the property taxes, who didn't want us in that community, rulers and principalities and spiritual opposition that didn't want a church to be there. And God, every step of the way, got us there. And I, I, I don't have time to tell you all of the stories, but one of the stories I'll tell you is, is that 14 months ago, we had a prophetic word from Chanel Rousseau that said that we would have um, breakthrough in areas of education and business and medicine, and that we were going to flourish in those areas. And one of the things that the alderman asked us to do is that we needed to get parking for the church, that the parking we had wasn't enough, and he wouldn't support it unless we had parking. And so we went to the school in, in that area, and it had to be within a certain um, radius of, the, of the, the church. And so we went to the school that would fulfill that, and we thought, this is a no-brainer. We're going to pay you. You need money. Let's make it happen. Sundays, you're not using it. We would use it. This is perfect. The school said no. They said maybe later, but we, we need it now. No, maybe later. So then, after getting shot down, we went to a bank that would also fulfill that a bank right in that area. And we said, can you, can you help us with this? You're, you're closed on Sundays. We will pay you. This sounds like a win-win situation. They're like, sorry, we can't do it. We would love to help you, though. Maybe once in a while when you do events, like you can, you can use our parking lot on events, but once in a while, but sorry, we can't do it consistently. Shut down again. The final chance we had was the dialysis center that was also in that radius. So we went to the dialysis center, and I realized that two years before, I had worked on a project with the boss of that dialysis center. And I reached out to him and said, hey, can you help us out? And then people in our church, um, Charles and Sonny, knew someone, a family friend, who worked at that dialysis center. And then Ashley Black, um, also in our church, said she knows people who also work at the dialysis center. And God had built building these relationships over the years, and we asked them, can you help? And they said, okay, it wasn't a no, which I took as a positive, but over two to three months, it, wasn't all, it also wasn't a yes. And we had to wait on God and say, God, this is our last chance, our last hope, our last hope. The day before our, our hearing where we needed that, that parking, 
they came back to us and they said, okay, we're not going to give you a lease, but we will give you the parking. We'll, we'll have a handshake agreement and we'll give that parking to you for free. What we were willing to pay them for, they said, here it is for free. In the perfect timing of God. And we thought everything was done. But you see, God's calling was so much bigger. After that, after all of that was done, the school then came back to us and said, hey, you know what? When you do come into the area, we would love for you to maybe do tutoring for the kids or be involved and help us with the kids. A lot of the parents aren't as involved as, as we need them to be. We would love for your church to be there and, and help um, with, the, with, with the kids of our school. And, you know, you could have a booth in our school where you could tell people about your church and, and that you're in the area. And we we're like, what? Are you serious? So we can just <laughs> go to your church, like school, and just have a booth and say, hey, we're Anthem Church, and here we are, and we could have full access to the children. And I mean, do you even know us? Like, why are you giving us access to your kids? Should I be concerned? You know? And then the, 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 the bank that was there, the, the Wintrust Bank, then they, they sit on the Chamber of Commerce for Albany Park. And they, unbeknownst to us, told all different businesses that on the Chamber of Commerce, hey, Anthem Church is coming. They're great. They're really good people. And we started getting um, calls from, and emails from businesses in the area saying, hey, how can we partner with you guys? Food pantries were like, hey, can you help us with the food pantries? The police were, were like, can you help us with domestic violence issues? Can you help us with officer suicide-related issues? Like, we would love your help. He said, of course. And people like Jess Novatsky and, and Chris Q met with that police station and are already forming relationships. Other businesses have reached out too, and we're working on how we can partner in a greater measure. And then the dialysis center that provided us the free parking said, you know, our patients who are on dialysis, they really struggle. Is there anything you could do to, to minister to them, to help them in any way? He said, of course. We want much more than your parking. We want a partnership. We want a relationship. God did much more than our, our plans had in place. I wish I could tell you that we were the ones who came up with the strategy, but I'm glad we didn't because God had plans higher than, than the plans that we had. See, and those are the plans that he has for each of you. Not just by virtue of being a part of our church, it's for your life as well. And so I would ask you, kind of in summary, to think about those three things. Think about who you are through the word of God. Not through who the world says you are, but who, what, who the word, word of God says you are. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made that you are a friend of God, that you have a calling and a destiny, that you are seated in heavenly places, that you have the mind of Christ, that Christ in you is the hope of glory, that all things, even the bad things that have happened to you, God is somehow using all of those things for your good, that nothing, not heaven, not hell, not angels, not demons, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Think about who you're not. Maybe as I was sharing this word, there are things that you feel have been holding you back. Whether it be sin or things that just aren't helpful. You've looked at them as comforts or friends. Maybe today is the day that you realize that they're enemies. They're hooks, like a worm on a hook trying to catch you and pull you astray. Today, maybe you felt that in worship, that you felt like some of those chains were breaking. Don't stare at your sin, but lift your gaze to God. 
And then think about who you will be. Not the small plans that we have for ourselves, but the big, incredible, heaven-laid plans that only God could have for you. And fast, so that the volume of your body can decrease. And pray so that your ears can be attuned to God in greater measure. And you can commune with the Spirit. That is our only hope for achieving heaven's plans. So, I have a challenge for you. Not a resolution, but a challenge. A two-week challenge, in fact. So for, for your identity, for two weeks, just two weeks, at least two weeks, every day, spend some time in the Word. Specifically about who you are and who God is. Your identity and who He is and His identity. And that He is with you. And see what that would do for you. And then just for two weeks, well, at least for two weeks, worship God. Worship God on your commute to, to school or work. Worship him before you open the word so that your eyes can see the living word of God. Worship him so that you don't stare on your failings, but lift your eyes to his victory. Worship God so that the garment of praise can turn off the spirit of heaviness. And then fast. Fast from the things that have held you back. Take those idols to false gods and bury them. Take those earrings or amulets and bury them. Fast from those things that have never once helped you. And pray. Pray not just for five minutes, but pray without ceasing throughout your day. Pray in between client meetings, just talk to God. Talk to him as the, as the brother that he says he is. Talk to him as the father, the good and perfect father that he says he is. Talk to him as the friend that he says he is. Just talk to him. Just for two weeks, at least two weeks, commune with the Spirit and see what he would do. Just see what he would do. And if nothing happens, then it's your choice whether you go back to the things of before. Lord, thank you, Father, for who you are and who we are in you. I pray that right now, that the words that you have been sharing with us, all of us, your people, would settle into your heart, our hearts. That it would take root. Thank you that your words come to earth and accomplish the purpose that you send them for. That we are changed. That we are different by your presence now that you're revealing more of our identity in you. Thank you that even now, right now, that you're freeing us from the chains of sin, freeing us from the memories of the past, freeing us from who the world, the narrative that the world would say about us. Thank you, Father, for right now, the hearts that have felt hard, that are now soft and open and able to receive more that you have for them. I pray that El Shaddai, you, you are God of blessing, would bless your people today, would usher forth blessings over every person here today, blessings of healing, blessings of hope and a future, to prosper us and not to harm us, for good and wonderful things. I pray, Father, that we would not go back to the things in the, 
in the past, but we would be forever changed. I pray that we would lead a lifestyle of fasting and prayer so we could have more of you, more of your presence, Lord, which is our heart's desire, that everything, every single thing pales in comparison to you. Lord, I have no good thing aside from you. The flesh is of no help at all. But thank you, Lord, that in you we have everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us, anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.